0: hello hello can you hear me i don't know if it's working um so like let me introduce myself my name is christian and i'm a member of this church for the last three weeks now uh, three weeks officially but i've been coming for a year and a half just the time to open my laptop um I just want to say before to start that I was really overwhelmed by the emotion when Megan Megan was singing. Suddenly I started crying. I don't know why. Um, because it's the first time for me to preach. I never preached in my life. I believe in Jesus. But standing here, I don't believe really feel like I'm worthy. There we go. <laughs> and... Then, I was just grateful that Tim and the church and God gave me the opportunity to stand in front of you. Um, So thank you. Um, My first language is French, so I ask for forgiveness for my accent, and I hope you can understand whatever I'm saying. Um, Let's have a little prayer. Lord Almighty, I thank you for the opportunity you give me to stand in front of your people. I know it's by, not by my knowledge, by my strength, but by your grace that I stand here. Because I'm not worthy. I'm the one that got astray. That you, um, you leave the 99 and come and find me. You climb the mountain and you found me. And I thank you, Lord, because you love me. Amen. Okay, it's going to be a bit hard, but... Um, so... Just a little introduction, my name is Christian. I'm married to a beautiful wife named Pamela, and we have three little kids. Um, I grew up in a Christian family. So as far as I can remember, we've always been praying, worshiping, and going to church. I'm baptized, and I read my Bible. I was perhaps not as much as I should, but I always read my Bible. Um, With my mother, we used to have a nice prayer every Friday. there was really a Christian family like. Um, however, for many years, when throughout my teenager times to my young adult life, I was living a double standard life. So on Sunday, I was going to church, praising God, but the night before, I was in a club drinking, chasing women, dancing, and uh, getting in arguments, sometimes even fights, for quite a long time that was my life, my youth life. And so that's why I call the double standard life. I remember sometimes um, as I was queuing to get into a club, there would be a, um, a bounce at the door and very selective to who's gonna let in and who's not gonna let in. And as I was getting closer, I'll start praying. I say, God, let me in, let me in, let me in, <laughs> help me. Um, just to be in the club. So it's kind of a double standard life. Even when I was at school, um, during the, an exam period, because, uh, the night before an exam, I would kneel down, pray, help God, uh, God help me to pass, to have a great mark. On the day of the exam, I will get there. If I have an opportunity to cheat, I would have done it, without even thinking twice. So that's the kind of life I was living. And... The thing is, I loved both my, my Christian faith and my worldly life. I couldn't choose. I didn't want to choose. I liked both, but I didn't think there was consequences about it. I didn't know there would be consequences. But actually, there is consequences. So I'll ask us to open a Bible, for those who have some Bible, in Revelation 3. Revelation 3, chapter... Uh, chapter 3, verse 15 to 17. That, that will be the, the main subject of the day. So it's written, Revelation 3, um, verse 15 to 17. I know everything you have done. It's God's talking. I know everything you have done. And you are not cold or hot. I wish you were either one or the other but since you are lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will spit you out of my mouth. You claim to be rich and successful and to have everything you need, but you don't know how bad of you are. You are pitiful, poor, blind, and naked." A very strong word from God to the church of Laodicea. I hope I'm pronouncing it properly. let me give you a little history about the church, and then I'll explain, I'll try to bring up my points toward my life around this scripture. Uh, the church of Laodicea was in the city of Laodicea. It's a church that, it's a city that was originally built as a fortress, and, um, but there was a lack of water, so the Roman Empire built an aqueduct to bring the water from a spring to the city. And the church was built there by one of Paul, um, church builders, like the brother from Seattle, a ch- church planter. And then, um, in the book of, written by Phil Moore, that Tim landed me, it described the church as an impeccable credential, planted by one of Paul Traney's church planter. It had grown to a size and re- uh, to a size and received its own letter from Paul. It was an affluent church and respectable, well thought of, and well respected within the Christian community. If it were around today, it would probably export its excellent church program around the world and be about to launch its own TV ministry. But Jesus' verdict about that church was on the opposite side. Jesus said, you make me sick. I'm about to vomit you out of my mouth. So that's a little bit about that church. But although this chapter talks about that church, it refers to a church, I think we can look at it as Jesus talking to ourselves. And that's the point of view I want to say. It's, I took it like Jesus was talking to me directly. God is telling me directly that I know everything you have done. I know you. Because I always have my eyes on you. In the, in the psalm, God says, uh, David says, you know when I'm resting and when I'm working. From heaven, you discover my thoughts. Where could I escape from your spirit, from your sight? God watches all the time. So, as I was saying, in Laodicea, there was a the big aqueduct. So, it's... Um, Kind of a kind of a pipeline that brings water down to the city, and at the source of that aqueduct, the water was really hot. At the end of it, the water was cold, and it was you will see people at the source going for a bath because the water was warm and nice and warm bath, or maybe using that hot water to wash the laundries. At the end of the of uh, the aqueduct, people get, we go there for w- cold water, to drink fresh, nice cold water, or maybe to use that water for planting the, the, the water they plant, sorry. But um, what I want to say is, sometimes that, that scripture can be misunderstanding, thinking hot means you're holy, and cold means you are sinful. But actually, hot and cold mean that, both ends can be used and useful, but in the middle of it, it was lukewarm. So in that city, you see people go- going either at one hand or at the end, of, but no one in the middle. There will be a gathering on both ends, but no one in the middle. And the key point is this one. The water looks the same. If you look at it, you stand from a viewing point, wherever you look at the water, top, bottom, or middle, it looks the same. But the difference is, is, when you want to use that water. If you want to use the hot water, the cold water. But if you come for the lukewarm water, no one's want it. As soon as you taste it, it's just like oh, people spit it. And this is how, this is how God will look at us. He want to use you for either when you're hot or either when you're cold, for drink for, for drinking purposes for His people for the church. But when it comes but when you, you are tasteless, or even you have a bad taste, you, God cannot use you. The people were gathering at, the, at, the, at one end or the other. So we need to make up a mind. In the past of my life, I struggled between both. I thought to myself, because I was a Christian, to be holy and to be in a righteous position with God It must come down from heaven. The Holy Spirit will come on me. I'll be, I have to do nothing, just patiently waiting for the Holy Spirit to come upon me. And once he'll be upon me, suddenly I'll be holy. I won't sin anymore. I won't drink anymore. I won't cheat on my exam anymore. I'll be perfect and holy. But it's far from the truth. Actually, to be holy, we have what I call the human parts to play. God has done his bit. In John 3, 16, God has already given his son. Jesus has already died. Um, And the salvation, it's accessible for everybody. It's there. But we have to play our part. We have to confess from our mouth that we believe in Jesus. Invite him in our hearts and confess. And the other part is to turn away from a sin. That's what we have to do. And that's what I didn't understand back then. I have myself to turn away from my sinful behavior and embrace the holiness and not just patiently waiting and carry on living the way I was living and calling myself as a Christian. And when I understood that, it makes a big difference in my life. Um, Perhaps, perhaps, like the Laocidia Church, we uh, we think that we are successful and rich praised by people and admired by them, you may have a good job, a beautiful car, a nice house, and do not need to think that this is how people see you and this is how you see yourself. But in God's eyes, it's totally different. In my early 20s, I too, I felt successful. I was in university, I had a car, I had a girlfriend, now my wife, and um, the future was all mine but my spiritual condition was pitiful. I was spiritu- spiritually poor. My prayer life was weak. My I was spiritually blind. I couldn't see the amazing glory of God. I was sp- spiritually naked, covered by shame, like Adam and Eve. And when I went to university, uh, the, called the University uh, Libre de Bruxelles, I wasn't really studying. I was just attending lectures and seminars, thinking it would be good enough just for me to succeed, to pass. But I failed. So I moved to another university in Belgium still, called Ishek. And I went there. I said, okay, this time I'll focus. This time I'll study. This time I'll give myself 100%. And then again, I failed. I couldn't understand what's happening. I was lost. Because when in your life, the only thing you know is... Go to school, primary, secondary, college, uni. You find a job, you get married, you have your children, and you live happily after. And one thing in that scheme, in that program doesn't work, you don't know what to do. Your dream is broken. My dream was broken. I didn't know what to do with my life. I was lost, completely lost. I think I went through kind of a depression, not really strong one, but I was depressed, I was down, and I didn't know what to do. So I turned myself, and I'm asking myself, what am I going to do now? And you could be in the same position as, uh, as I was. Maybe with not the same situation. But when you think you are in control of your life, you are self-sufficient, that everything works fine, and then suddenly, things does not go the way it's supposed to go. Or maybe it could be for you at work. You're not getting the promotion you want. Even worse. You lose your job. What do you do when you lose your job? When all you know is waking up in the morning, going to work, what do you do in that morning when you cannot go to work anymore? That money doesn't come in anymore. What do you do? It could be that maybe at a certain age, you say, I'm gonna be married when I'm gonna be 25, everything will be fine. You reach 25, nothing. Times go by and you're still single. What do you do? All your hope, all your plan doesn't work. Where to turn, who to turn to. Or sometimes some people plan to have a family. They're family lovers. They want children. And they're trying and trying. Nothing's happening. They're trying hard. They go and see doctors. Everything is available, science, everything. Nothing is working. Their dream is crushed and broken. What do you do in that situation? Or maybe it could be sickness. You're a healthy man, healthy person, doing well, and suddenly a long-lasting disease struck you. What do you do? The scriptures say, um, when the foundation is destroyed, the righteous, what can you do? You don't know what to do. And the only thing I could do, the only thing I knew, was going back to Jesus. Sorry. So, I started attending the church more often. I gave away my life start praying every morning, start going to prayers meeting, start being more, more focused on Jesus and praying, because I didn't know what to do. The horizon just disappeared in front of me. I was young, but I didn't know what to do with my life. And then out of the blue, an opportunity come, came to move, to move to London. And I was happy. I could see my future again. I could start over. I could start, I said, Oh good, thanks God, you gave me an opportunity to start over. So I moved to London, and I was away from my family, away from my friends. So in that kind of isolation and my return toward God, I started looking for a local church, attending that church, praying. I registered to uni, enrolled to a new university, and life started going again. I started breathing again and feeling good again, the hope that Jesus gave me and the new opportunity. So I I I started to live and have hope again. And that's what Jesus brings in people's life. That's the difference Jesus brings in someone's life. I call it the divine love. When God is with you, whatever you're going through, whatever are your dreams, whatever are your plan, if one day they don't go the way you're expecting, you can't have a baby. You can't find a person to marry to. You can't find the right job. The thing is, when you believe in Jesus, the first thing he's going to do to you to bring peace in the turmoil, in the troubled moment, Jesus, the, that's the first thing you give. And you'll be in this kind of state of peaceful mind, and people say, but despite what you're going through, you seem very calm, and I don't understand how you're doing. I don't understand either. All I know is Jesus. He said, um, I don't give peace like the world gives. It's is kind of peace that we cannot understand, but when we, when, when we welcome him in, his, on, in our heart." We'll be amazed by what God can do in our life. And sure enough, opportunity will come. So all I want to say is, maybe you are here, like the way I was, living on the fence. And decisive about the type of life you want to live. You are lukewarm. As I'm talking to you, God is talking through me to talk to you. I just want to read the last scripture on Revelation 3. 1920 Revelation 3 1920 The scripture says so make up your minds to turn away from your sins listen i'm standing and knocking at your door if you hear my voice and open the door i will come in and we will eat together that's god talking to us now at these precise moments god is standing at the door of your heart Knocking. Open your heart and let him in. God wants to eat with you. God wants to, co- to have a communion with you. Choose God. Turn away from your sins. Choose God and embrace the real success and fulfillment of lies. Choose God by committing fully to God. Thank you.